0: Good morning. It's good to see all of you. We're glad that you have come to join us for worship here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church this morning. And we are thrilled that you are here. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please take them out. Turn with me once again to the book of Genesis and to chapter 47. Genesis chapter 47. We're going to continue our study through this book this morning that we have been going through now since the beginning uh, of this year, and we come back to chapter 47. We looked at the first half of it last week, and I want us to pick back up there again and read throughout the, ra- the, the last part of chapter 47 and look at it as a whole. And to kind of set up our study, what I want you to do is I want you to imagine that you've decided that you're going to go out to, to Walmart or to Target or to Home Depot or to some other place that. that sells a bunch of different kinds of stuff and you you've gotten there and you've walked in the door and you are met by the manager of that store and the manager of that store looks at you and says today is your lucky day and he's got this big smile and and you notice that lined up behind him are just a a whole string of empty carts and he says here's your lucky day you've got five minutes Five minutes to go throughout this store and put as many items as you can in as many of those carts as you can fill up. And at the end of those five minutes, whatever you get in those carts is yours, free of charge. That'd be a pretty good deal, wouldn't it? That'd be all right. Now, as soon as you got over the the shock of of such a thing and verified that it was true, my guess is, is that none of you would waste your time filling up your carts with things that were cheap and frivolous. I'm guessing that as you decide to get your carts to start going down those aisles, you're putting every expensive thing you can get your hand on inside those carts. Everything that you could need, that you could actually use that was of value in your life, you're going to be trying to put, and you're going to be busting. It's going to be a mad dash because you've only got five minutes, and you're going to fill those carts up with everything that's valuable, and you're going to leverage those five minutes to the best possible value that you can get. Now let's come back to reality for just a moment because I've never heard of that happening and I'm not sure that it's going to but here's the thing here's why imagining such a scenario like that may bring some benefit to us today. It's because as Stephen Cole has written, he said that whole fictitious scenario actually tells us that our it reminds us that our lives mimic that entire fictitious free shopping spree. All of us are going through life. And all of us are adding things to our cart all the time. The only difference, the major difference is just this. None of us know how long we've got. None of us know how long it will be until the buzzer sounds. And when the buzzer does sound, it will be the time for us to go to the register and have everything tallied up. And the real question before us is that when our clocks stop, Will our carts be full of the things that really matter? Or will they be filled with inconsequential and trivial things that are worthless in light of eternity? Now, I believe that question kind of hangs in the background of the text that we're going to read this morning. It hangs in the background as a point of application for us as we see what bubbles up when we read through this passage. There's something else, though, that I want to make you aware of that's lurking in the background of Genesis 47. And it's the promises that God made to Abram. You'll remember that back in chapter 12 of Genesis, we've referred to it numerous times in our study through this book, we read that God came to Abram and he made some specific promises to him. In fact, let me read them for you. Beginning in Genesis 12, verse 2, he says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. And then down in verse 7 of chapter 12, the Lord said, He appeared to Abram and He said, Speaking of the land of Canaan... To your descendants, I will give this land. Here's what I want you to know, that in chapter 47 of Genesis, all of these blessings of God's promises begin to unfold. They begin to take shape. We see that they're starting to, to occur in, the, in, a, in a real transactional way. And But what we come to understand is that those blessings actually point us to the greatest priorities that all of the children of Israel, and quite frankly, all of us who have been blessed by God must reckon with. So with that as an introduction, let's begin reading there. In verse 1 of Genesis 47, you'll recall that Jacob and all of his children have made their way down from Canaan to Egypt, and they are, they are now fixing to settle into the land. And we hear these words. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds, and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. And indeed, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and our fa- also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have... We have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and your brothers dwell in the best of the land, and let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Then Joseph brought in his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the lives of my father and the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh... And went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father and brothers and all his father's household with bread, according to the number in their families. Now, there was no bread in all the land. For the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed." Then Joseph said, give your livestock and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle, and the herds and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord has... Our herds, our livestock, and there is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may not live, that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. And then Joseph, bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon the land. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them from the city, into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. And only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests and the ra- had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh. And they ate their rations, which Pharaoh gave them, and therefore they did not sell their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is the seed for you, and you shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your household, and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants." Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. Then he said, Swear to me, And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head, bowed himself on the head of the bed. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word that you give to us. We thank you that it shows us as much about ourselves as we can imagine at times. It opens and peels back shadows and shines light into the middle of darkness and exposes things about us, Lord, that we didn't even realize were there. And Father, that's why your word is active and it's alive and it moves and it still brings conviction and it is still something that, that works by the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And we pray that that is exactly what will happen today. That you would move in us. Continue to remind us of our hope that comes only in Jesus Christ. continues to show us our Savior, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You'll notice that I have entitled today's today's sermon, Blessings and Reminders. And quite frankly, it's the blessings that get most of the, of the, the attention in this chapter. But these blessings also set up the necessity of the reminder that I believe comes at the end of the chapter, and that's how I want us to just work our way through uh, this text this morning, and that's how I've given you the outline that I've given to you there. Notice with me the first point. The first point stretches from verse 1 all the way down through verse 27, actually, and it's this. It's the blessing of prosperity. The blessing of prosperity. I believe that's what we see in this first big section of chapter 47. Um, I mentioned that we looked at the first part of chapter 47 last week. Specifically, we noted that Joseph had given his brother's instructions back at the very end of chapter 46 that when they encountered Pharaoh, they were to tell Pharaoh that they were shepherds, that they, their, their occupation of their life was working with, with livestock. And that, that really served two purposes for them to, to say that. First of all, the Egyptians looked upon shepherds with contempt and with disdain. And so Joseph knew that if his brothers and his family acknowledged the fact that they were uh, shepherds, that they would be put away and kind of left alone by the Egyptians. they, In other words, they would be able to to, uh, uh, maintain their cultural identity without the influx of Egyptians into their lives. The second thing was because uh, by admitting that they they were shepherds, their livestock and the nature of their occupation, they would need land. And they would need land for their for their their livestock to grow on and to feed off of. And so that was the, the purpose. They wanted to live away from the cities so that they could continue to maintain their identity. And so, as we read, that's exactly what Joseph's brothers do. When they meet Pharaoh there in verse 4, notice what they said: please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And so that request leads to the first subpoint that I have for you there, the first. Subpoint is subpoint A, and you'll notice this, that Pharaoh blesses Israel. Pharaoh blesses Israel. Now, according to verse 6, Pharaoh gives to Joseph and his family exactly what they asked for. He says, look, land of Egypt's before you. He tells Joseph, have your father and your brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And I believe that the reason why Israel was blessed the way that they were while Jacob and all of his children were blessed like they were was because... Of the, of the way that, that Joseph had managed all of Pharaoh and Egypt's affairs during the seven years of plenty, but also now in the first two years of the famine. And so as, they, as, as, a, as a favor to him, as a blessing to Joseph, Pharaoh is a blessing to Israel. And he blessed Jacob and his family by providing them exactly what they needed. Now, it's at this point in the text that we read that Joseph brings his father, Jacob, in to meet the Pharaoh and, and I just can imagine what this meeting would have been like. In fact, one writer kind of paints the picture this way. Just imagine it in your mind's eye. You Think of the contrast between this aged Jewish wanderer who was a shepherd just like those that the Egyptians despised, and then on the other side you have this illustrious glittering Pharaoh in all of his splendor. Another writer puts it this way. He says, the aged patriarch bearing God's promise To become a great nation meets the Lord of Egypt, juxtaposing vividly two modes of life. The Pharaoh is secure, he is royal, he is condescending, while Jacob is precarious and completely dependent on Pharaoh's goodwill. Now, if you can imagine those two out there, you've got one who, who is... Old and with a long beard because shepherds typically had that, and so did the Hebrews. And, and 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 then you've got Pharaoh over there who's probably shaved and 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 he's got all the glitter and all of the, the gold all around him. And you could see those two images. That's what makes the next part that we read so interesting to me. Notice subpoint B that you've got there. It's the fact that Israel blesses Pharaoh. Israel blesses Pharaoh. See, according to verse 7, we read that Jacob, who is also known as Israel, he pronounces a blessing upon Pharaoh. Now, now some have said that this was something along the lines of walking into the king's court, as one would do, and, and saying, Long live the king. That that's the blessing that he had. And, and then in verse 10, you see that he says it again after he's on his way out. "May Long live the king. And so that it was some sort of a blessing that asks for long life and and it's accompanied by a a, a hello and a farewell. But James Boyce makes the, the point that Jacob's blessing of Pharaoh was more than just a mere greeting. He states that for the Hebrew people, a blessing was something that the lesser person was given by the greater. Now to illustrate that point, just consider that a few chapters back, it was Jacob himself who would not let go of that night wrestler, that angel who wrestled with him all night, he would not let him go until he did what? I will not let you go until you bless me. Why? Because Jacob recognized that the one who had been wrestling with him all night was greater than him. And the only way that he could get out of this was if the one greater than him actually conferred a blessing upon him. Now, here, what we see, as Boyce points out, is that in spite of the worldly appearances, the fact, that Jacob blesses Pharaoh actually shows him to be the greater of the two individuals. Now, while we don't know exactly what Jacob said, what Israel's blessing upon Pharaoh actually was, we can know the essence of it. And we know the essence of it by looking backward to that passage I read from you ...for you from Genesis chapter 12. Because it was there, if you'll recall, that God had promised Abram... ...and He had promised his posterity. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. You see, based upon that, what we know is that from all outward appearances... ...it looked like Jacob didn't have anything to give to Pharaoh. But because Pharaoh had been blessing Jacob and he had been blessing Israel then as the patriarch of the one who carried the blessing from God, he was able to show that he would not only do what God had said, and that was to be a blessing to the world, but that he would also be blessing specifically to those who blessed him. Now, if we consider that, that Jacob, who obviously looked like the the lesser, was actually the greater and able to bless the one who looked like the greater, but was actually the lesser, then there's a point of application there, I think, for us. You see, here's the thing. Many of us tend to be dazzled by the world. And we tend to to be amazed by the the affluence that we see in the world and, and all the glitter that's there. And Boyce even makes this point. In the presence of those that the world thinks important, we often stand mute. But, he says, we need to learn, as Jacob learned, that we as Christians have more to offer the world than the world for all of its wealth and importance has to offer us. You see, what is that blessing that we who have, who have united ourselves to Christ, what is the blessing that we have to take to a world around us? Well, surely it's this. Surely it's the message of the gospel that declares that salvation and eternal life is available to those who will place their faith in Jesus Christ. Surely it is a message that declares to the world that apart from Christ you stand condemned in your sins and that, you are in, that that God's judgment will ultimately bring you to a place of eternal punishment in hell. But that God, who is rich in His mercy and His grace towards sinners like you and like me, has given His Son Jesus so that those who place their faith in Jesus and put their, faith, their trust in Him, may be saved from their sins. I want you to know there is no greater blessing that a Christian has to offer to a lost and a dying world than the message that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners just like you and just like me. Our text reveals that Israel had a blessing to offer to Pharaoh, a blessing from the living God. And as Christians, you and I have that same blessing to offer. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. There's one more important detail about this meeting that takes place between... I I just admit, I'm, I'm mesmerized by the fact that Jacob is in the presence of Pharaoh. But there's an important thing that I want you to note... Pharaoh evidently was amazed by Jacob's age. And, and, and he to so how old are you? And he says, well, the days of my years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in, in the days of their pilgrimage. Now, if you go back and you look at Jacob you'll find out he was pretty pessimistic most of the time when he responded. He always was talking about death, and he always seemed to have a negative opinion about everything. Well, even as he looked back upon his 130 years of living, he said, few and evil are the days of my life. Now, 130 years to us does not seem few, but if you compare it to his father who lived to be 180 and to his grandfather who lived to be 175, 130 years was few. And if we also go back and we see everything that we have studied in our study here that happened with Jacob in his life, we can also understand why he would talk about it being evil. He had experienced a lot of negativity. Here's the main thing I want you to notice. He refers to his life as a pilgrimage. He refers to it as a journey. In fact, he even refers to that same thing being what his fathers were on. They were on a pilgrimage. They were on a a journey. They... Just like his father and his grandfather, Jacob declares himself to be a traveler. He's a wanderer through this life. And even though he had just been blessed by Pharaoh, the most important man in the world, with some of the very best land that Egypt had to offer, Jacob stands up and says, This isn't my home. It's good. I appreciate it. But this isn't my home. I'm on a pilgrimage. I'm not only on a physical journey that will help me to continue to travel, but I believe he's also declaring that he was on a spiritual journey that would ultimately lead him to his heavenly home. And the reason that I say that is because the writer of Hebrews takes this event and begins to talk about it from the perspective of the patriarchs. And he says, they all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims On the earth. You see, as good as Pharaoh had been to Jacob and to his family, and as much promise as there was in Egypt and in the land of Goshen, Jacob declared, I'm only a pilgrim. This is not my home. You and I should be reminded of that same truth. You see, for all that the world has to offer us, For all of the good things that we can experience and that we can acquire in this world, this world is not our home. We we too are pilgrims and we're only passing through. It's interesting to me that as lavish and as luxurious as Pharaoh's court and home no doubt was, Jacob effectively looked him in the eye and said, this life is not the end and there's an eternity that has to be prepared for you and I must consistently remind ourselves of that same truth. Now, we come to verses 11 and 12. I just kind of want you to, to disengage with them for just a moment. We're going to come back to them in a minute. But before we do, do I want us to go forward is to begin looking from verse 13 through verse 26. Notice the, the next subpoint on your outline. It's this. As we continue to look at the blessing of prosperity, we see that the, the third point there is that God blesses Pharaoh. God blesses Pharaoh. Now in this section, Moses details for us how Jacob, or excuse me, how Joseph sort of managed the famine in the land of Egypt. And this is, this is a breakdown of what he did. First of all, the people of Egypt, the Egyptians took the money that they had, their silver and their gold, and they went and they bought grain until they ran out of money. And then when their land still was not producing, then they, all that they had left was their livestock. All they had was their horses and their cattle and their and, and their goats and, and everything that they had there. And they would take them and they traded those in so that they could get grain. And then the famine continued and now the Egyptians are devoid of, of money. They're devoid of silver and gold and they're devoid of livestock all they had left was themselves and the land that they owned. And they went to Joseph and they said, there's no reason for us to die. We give ourselves and we give our land to you. And what you begin to see is that Joseph, according to verse 20, bought all the land of the Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's and in result he gave them grain to begin to sow seed and everything that they did, four-fifths of it was theirs and one-fifth of it became Pharaoh's. And what you begin to see is through this whole process of the famine is that Pharaoh's acquisition of land and his acquisition of wealth increased greatly. Now, some have criticized Joseph for the way that he managed Egypt's affairs. They say that he was harsh and that he was being degrading to people. There's two things that I would say in his defense. First of all, when we read this passage, we often are guilty of reading it through the 21st century Western civilization lenses. But I want you to know those lenses are not the same lenses that were used in the ancient Near Eastern cultures. There was no democracy. There was no welfare state back then. If you, if you did not raise and grow the food and you, the land suffered, then you died. All you had was what you had, and that was it. And so notice that they used everything that they had in order to survive this great famine. Second thing that I would notice is if we take a negative view of Joseph, it is a different view than, that is a different view than the Egyptians had of him. If you'll notice down in verse 25, they hailed him as their savior. They said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's servants. Here's the main point that I want you to understand. Here is this is that God fulfilled His promise to Pharaoh when He said, I will bless those who bless you. Speaking of Abram and all of his his offspring. He blessed this Pharaoh. He he expanded his territory. He gave him multiple ways of, of, of increasing his entire wealth. And God dramatically increased all of that for Pharaoh. And He blessed him who blessed Israel. By comparison... According to Moses in Exodus chapter 1, there was a later Pharaoh who came on the scene, a Pharaoh who did not remember Joseph, a Pharaoh who who actually afflicted the Israelites with burdens, and you remember what happened to him? God afflicted him with burdens, with the plagues. As a matter of fact, all of Egypt would come to know that God cursed those who cursed Israel. So what we've seen is that God blesses Pharaoh, but then notice the fourth point that I want you to note underneath point number one. Subpoint D is this, God blesses Israel. Let's go back to verses 11 and 12 again that I mentioned earlier. Remember that Jacob and all of his children and grandchildren would have starved to death if they'd remained in Canaan. But in his providence, God brought them to Egypt and he also had Jacob's son Joseph in a position that he could save his family from certain death. And now they have received from Pharaoh the best of the land, the land of Goshen, where they can tend to their flocks and raise their families and maintain their cultural identity and worship Yahweh. And then notice that according to verse 12, that Moses tells us that Joseph provided for his family with bread according to the number of their families. In other words, he was able to give them all the bread that they needed. Balance that with what you read in verse 13. All of the Israelites were able to have bread, but in verse 13, there was no bread in the land. You see how God was blessing them? He was was blessing Israel in spite of the famine they still were taken care of. But there's more. Notice also what we read down in verse 27. You read there, So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. Do you see the contrast? While the Egyptians were going without bread, Israel had plenty. While the Egyptians were giving up their money and their livestock and their land, even their own freedom... The Israelites had a land given to them by Pharaoh and their possessions were increasing. In fact, based upon what we read back up in verse 6, it would have been the Israelites that Pharaoh used to oversee all of the livestock that he acquired from the Egyptians. And furthermore, according to verse 27, the Israelites were increasing in number. They were multiplying. They were becoming great. They were becoming a mighty nation just as God had promised that they would. And it is right here it is right here at this point of the story that we need to realize that there was probably a great temptation for the Israelites to say, wow, this is great. This is, this is the exact thing that we had hoped would be. We, we've got it going on here. This is the spot that we are the most blessed in. We've got all the food that we can eat. We've got the best jobs in the whole country. We live in the best land in Egypt. This is exactly what we had always hoped for. Isn't Egypt great? That's what brings us to the last section. It's those last verses of this text that really hit me when I began studying it. Notice the second and the final point on your outline this morning. It's this. We read here the reminder of priority. The reminder of priority. In verse 28, Moses gives us a temporal marker. He says that Jacob lived for 17 years in Egypt. In other words, he lived to be 147 years old. If few and evil were the way he described the first 130 years of his life, I would say that he would have a completely different description of the last 17. They might have been few, but they were great. He had been restored to his whole family. His extended family were growing growing. Their possessions were increasing. Everything was going great. I can almost see him take his cell phone out, pose for a picture and do a selfie and post it to Instagram that says, living my best life. Except that's not what he did. Instead, Jacob came near death and when he did, he called Joseph and he made him swear that when he died, his bones would be taken back and buried in the cave of Machpelah where his father and his grandfather had been buried in the land of Canaan. He not only said, I promise to do that, Dad. Jacob looked at him, he said, swear to me. And Joseph did. Now, why are the last verses, why, are those, why is that last section such an important part of this story? Why is Jacob's request to be buried back in Canaan such a fitting conclusion to what we've seen with regard to God's blessing, His blessing of of, of prosperity. Well, I believe that it's important because they reveal that Jacob wanted his posterity to remember that God's promise to their father Abraham involved the land of Canaan. By being taken back there and being buried there, Jacob wanted his offspring to know that they were not to become settled in Egypt indefinitely. Egypt was not their home. And that's why I say that the blessing of prosperity always needs to be balanced with the reminder of priority. Stephen Cole has has an insightful word from his commentary on this passage. He says "The good life in Egypt can never compare to the blessing of the promised land. And then he goes on to say, we are all faced with the danger of becoming enamored with the goodies of Egypt and forgetting that we are looking for that heavenly city to come. God has graciously, graciously prospered us in this world, but we must remember that our purpose for being here is not to accumulate the things that Egypt has to offer. We're here to further God's purpose, to communicate the good news of Christ to every tribe and tongue and nation. And the person who by faith lays up treasure in heaven is truly prosperous. Such a one has something that the world cannot give and that the world cannot take away. And That's what leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which I will readily admit to you as an application point from this text. And my sermon in the sentence is this. While earthly prosperity is a blessing from God, Christians must remember that heaven is our ultimate home, not this world. And that our ultimate priority is not to accumulate wealth, but to share the good news of Christ with the world. Jesus had something to say specifically about this exact thing. In his Sermon on the Mount... He said these words in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus reminds us that this world is not our home and the accumulation of wealth is not our priority. Rather, he reminds us that heaven is the home that we have been promised and that the treasures that we should spend our time pursuing are not earthly ones, but upward ones. And in light of that, then we come back to this passage here in Genesis 47 and we realize just as Jacob, just as he had the ability, even in his lesser look, even though he may have looked as if he had nothing to offer, he had everything to offer to Pharaoh. And you and I have everything to offer to this world. We have the gospel of the good news of Jesus. And that's what brings me back to that fictitious free shopping spree that we imagined at the beginning of this sermon. As I said, the only difference between that shopping spree and life is that none of us know how long we've got left on the clock. In fact, the song that the choir sang earlier, the words of that song, the hymn was originally titled Safe by Grace. I grew up listening to it because it was my dad's absolute favorite hymn. He's not here this morning, so I can tell all the stories on him I want, but I won't. He's, he's made me vow that at his funeral that song will be sung. Now, it was a different tune that, we, that you heard the choir sing this morning from the one that I grew up with, but the words start out this way someday the silver cord will break and I no more as now shall see oh the joy when I shall wake within the palace of the king and I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. Here is the point. Don't leave here without hearing this. None of us knows how many minutes or days or years we have left. All of us are pushing carts through life and we're filling those carts up with stuff. At the end of our lives, the question will not be, how many goodies did you find that you could put from the world in your carts? At the end of the story, it will not be how big is your bank account. When you stand before God, the only question that will matter at that point is the things in your life, did you use them for the advancement and the prosperity of God? Were you rich toward God in that you used everything God gave you to advance the cause of Christ? And brothers and sisters, as Christians, if we are not using our blessings that God has blessed us with to advance the cause of Christ, we will stand before Him one day with carts that are filled with things that will not last and will not make any value for eternity. This world is not our home. The accumulation of wealth is not our goal. Heaven is our home. And the advancement of the gospel is our goal. To that end, let me say this. If you are here this morning and you are not a believer in Christ and you have never placed your faith and your trust in Christ, by all worldly standards, you may have come to the top and the pinnacle of your career. And you may have accumulated all kinds of things that you can look at and be proud of that you've accomplished. But I want you to understand on the basis of God's word, God's word says that they will be wood, hay, and stubble. That moths will come in and rust will take it away and thieves will break in and steal. Why? Because you have not been rich toward God. Do you want to know how you become rich toward God? By trusting in his son whom he has sent to save you from your sins. That is your only hope and that is the way that you begin to become prosperous toward God. It reminds all of us in this room who are Christians of our greatest priority. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. And it's for the people of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for a reminder from the very pages of an Old Testament text that this world is not our home. And that the promises that you have made to us by faith, the promises that we have claimed through Jesus Christ point us to a greater priority helps us to be able to put things in the right perspective and the truth of the matter is we are so often tempted just as many others are to be mesmerized by the things of this world but help us lord help us lord to know that there is a a place waiting for us that you have prepared you've gone to prepare this place for us and you've promised that you'll come again and receive us into yourself where you are there we may be also I pray that we would grab onto that and that we would live our lives in light of that truth. This is my prayer, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.